Hello everyone and welcome back to a theater near you. My name is Chris Randazzo and I'm joined this evening as always by very believable lizard man Paul Giroux. <laughs> and definitely not a DC Comics Thanagarian, Sean Doyle. This month this month's letter was F and we went with Sean's pick, the 1980 Flash Gordon film. Is Ming as merciless as they say? Let's find out. But first, how are you gentlemen doing? I, I'm doing pretty good. I have a crazy story, but if uh, if I, I can I can slide aside if Sean's got anything uh, fantastic to report. You know what? I got a crazy story, uh, and then some follow-up movie nonsense. I don't know. Let's have a crazy story off. Uh, should we should we boil them down to two sentences and see which one's crazier, or you just want to give the full version and then I'll give my full version? I have or to, I'll go first. I, don't I have to give my full version. Mine, it, it's, there's no justice if I don't do the full version. Okay, all right. Uh, you want to go first or you want me to go first? I don't care either way. I, I was being a gentleman and deferring to you, so you go first. All right, all right. We all know I'm not a gentleman. So, uh, you are a scholar. And, you know, I do my best. Uh, so I went, and this isn't a dream. This happened. <laughs> I, like, I like it already. My story is similar. <laughs> you guys clearly lead way more interesting lives than I do. I don't, I don't think I've ever had a really good crazy story on the show yet. So I was drinking at a village in the woods. Like you do. Like you do. Like you do. And Dante from Clerks declared that I didn't eat enough pie, so he gave me 50 bucks. And then said that Jacqueline is the best screamer and gave her a three-foot robot statue that demands to be let out. That's, that's it. That's my story. You're right. That sounds like a dream. Right. No, but that's how that went down, like, uh, a week ago. Two weeks ago? I don't know. So you, right. were, you were at an event where he was? Yeah. Yeah. And he was judging the pie-eating contest, and I demanded to be involved. And, uh... There was a pie eating contest. Yeah, but you couldn't you are use your hands. You burying the lead, sir. <laughs> you couldn't use your hands. And then the... Uh, That's like standard pie eating contest rules, though, right? Right. So then me and this other guy had, had won, but they said there can't be a tie. So then they made us eat more pie. Uh, everybody right. else had to leave the stage. It was just me and this one other guy. And then it was still close, but Dante gave him the nod. So I got 50 bucks. But then they had a screaming contest for the ladies. Or at least it was only ladies up on stage. Uh, and Jacqueline blew that one out. Uh, <laughs> she put everybody to shame. And then the prize for that was not money, like the pie-eating contest. It was this weird robot statue uh, that demands to be let out. So then we just brought that home and tried to scare children with it on Halloween. And when you complained that you didn't win the contest, did he say he's not even supposed to be here today? No, he didn't make any of those references. I'm betting he's sick of that crap, but he did take a nice picture with me. So I've got a photo of me with Dante, which... I mean, that helps the next day when you're not drunk anymore to be like, no, all that, all that went down the way I thought it went down. That, that'll, that'll check out. Nice. Huh. Yeah. Not as many twists and turns as I expected, but still a very solid story. You know, I try. You know, it was, it, for, for Friday, it was a solid Friday. So, yeah, all right, call this one a win. Well, it must be something weird about Fridays because uh, this, this happened to me today uh, on my lunch break. This was... This was just about the weirdest lunch break I've ever had in my life. Um, so I went to go get food at Jimmy John's, uh, which I do regularly, unfortunately. Like I know do. it's garbage food. Um, 
What the hell is Jimmy John's? Oh, you it's guys a Subway, have... but you, yeah, better. It's, it's sandwiches. Huh. It's oh better than a Subway, but only That's... marginally. Yeah, it's well, it's a way to set the bar. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely garbage subs. Um, uh, I. <laughs> I do it because a, it is the restaurant geographically closest to where I work. Like, the area that I work in is a culinary wasteland, and there is like almost no restaurants or or just lunch places. And Jimmy John's is like diagonally across the street. Um, the other thing about Jimmy John's is, like, you walk in there and you're looking up at the board and you're like, I think I want the roast beef and like. After you've said the word roast, while the, the syllables B are coming out of your mouth, like the dude in the back already has the roast beef and he's putting it on the sandwich. Like by the time you finish saying what you want, it's the sandwich is in front of you. Um, so it's fast, uh, which is good because I usually don't really have time to take a lunch break. So huh. I eat there more than I should, unfortunately, because of its proximity and its uh, expediency. So today... I walked into Jimmy John's, got my sub. I came outside. I was like, I'm going to eat on the little patio here. Like, the Jimmy John's is next to the Baba Ganoush place, next to the Dunkin' Donuts, next to the Pita Chip place. And they kind of, like, all share this little, like, patio where there's some tables and stuff. So there's street parking in front of the patio, and there's street parking behind the patio. Uh, but, like, next to the patio is the street. It's, like, the middle of the street, you know? So... I'm sitting on this little patio bordering the street. Some other dudes that just ordered their Jimmy John's came out and sat at the table next to me. So we're all sitting there and the trolley comes down the street and there's this gold Elantra parked right next to the patio. So it's pretty much parked in the street. And of course the trolley can't get around it because it's a trolley and Charlie's got to drive on tracks <laughs> and he can't go around the, the car. So it gets behind this gold Elantra and it just starts dinging its bell and like honking and dinging its bell. So me and the other dudes on the patio kind of look around like we're the only ones near this car, but it's none of our car, you know? So like, then I kind of felt like a, a jerk for just continuing to sit there and eat my sub. So I got up and I like, I waved to the trolley driver and I'm, I'm like, I do the like shruggy thing. I'm like, it's, it's not our car, you know? And then I'm like, do you want me to go check in these restaurants here? And so, like, poked my head in the Dunkin' Donuts, poked my head in the pita chip place, in the in the Jimmy John's. The Jimmy John's guys were, like, unfazed. They were like, this happens at least two times a day. Like, we're, we don't care. Um, the You know, nobody in the, the Baba Ganoush place fessed up to the car. So, like, then I had to come out and be like, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's not my car, you know. And then... Then I basically was like, all right, I think I clocked my time for SEPTA, right? Like, I'm going to sit down and eat my sub, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I could try to, I could try to send the, the city my bill and say, you know, I charge 60 bucks an hour with a four hour minimum, but I'm pretty sure that would go nowhere. So I was like, I, I put in my time for you, trolley driver. I'm sorry. So then the door to the trolley opens up because people get off because they're like, this car's in the way and I don't know you know, when the trolley's going to start moving again. And one of the guys that gets off the trolley was dressed like Hulk Hogan. Like he had the, the like weightlifter pants and he had the yellow tank top that said Hulkamania on it. And he had the like ratty mullet, you know, 
and he was wearing a mask, like, you know, COVID mask that said Hulk on it. And, like, he gets off the trolley, and he starts getting in all of our faces. And he's like, whose car is this? You gotta move your car. And I was like, I didn't expect that when I, like, was sitting here eating my sub that I was going to need to defend it not being my car to Hulk Hogan, right? So, like, he's like, you know, move this car. And me and the other guys are like, sorry, dude, you know. And then he, like, goes out in the middle of the street, and he's, like, flexing, and he's like, who's the person that owns this car, right? And, like, I start kind of cheering him on. I'm like, yeah, brother, get that guy who owns that car, you know. And, like, at this point, I'm just kind of in it for the spectacle. And so while all this craziness is happening and people on the sidewalk are stopping and looking at this guy, this like frightened looking dude runs out of the bank across the street, jumps in the car and and starts the car. (laughs) And then I go, Hulk, that's him. Get him. And the other guys are like, get him Hulk. And I'm like, come on brother. And he runs over to the window of the car and the guy just peels out in the street and he's gone. And then Hulk gets back on the trolley couple other people get back on the trolley <laughs> trolley drives off the customers return to their seats <laughs> crisis diverted problem solved it was the weirdest lunch i ever had and that's a lunch break that's solid that's solid for a lunch break i was hoping you were gonna say like five ten minutes into him flexing in the middle of the street he hopped in the elantra and drove off <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing <laughs> After screaming at other people. But- or Randy Savage got into the car and drove away. <laughs> Step into a Hundra Elantra. <laughs> Feel the excitement? I'm getting out of here. <laughs> I went to a wedding. It was, it was really nice. <laughs> I, don't know. I can't compete with either of those. It's been a, it's been a busy, busy freaking month, that's all. So I mean, for all of our six listeners out there, sorry we missed. Um, we, so we 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 seem to have missed October, uh, just barely though. We're recording that. I mean, I don't know how long it's gonna take me to edit this, but we're recording this on November fifth. So like that's 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 close to uh, October. Part. It was just uh, October was a was a, a hell of a month. But you know, me and Paul did hang out together for a while, so like, we didn't cool. record it. But that's like. That's kind of like a podcast. We talked about the podcast to some people. So uh, if you discovered us via Gina's wedding, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks Hi, for everyone. tuning in. And congratulations I, to Gina. Yes, and congratulations to Gina. It was, uh, what was that, the, her second on her wedding tour? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, I think she actually got married a year ago in a small ceremony. And then... right. They had this one in New Jersey, and then I think they have to have another one in New Mexico. So it's yeah. a it's an epic story of marriage. <laughs> it's it's a wedding extravaganza. Exactly. Well, uh, anyways, we are here to talk about Flash Gordon. Wait a minute! Uh, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! <laughs> wait a minute! Wait a minute! <laughs> I think I watched the wrong movie, guys. I watched something called Flesh Gordon. <laughs> oh my god this is the second time this has come off today <laughs> i was wondering why I wanted, you wanted me i want to know more it. about the first <laughs> it like no it, was, like it the, was a weird choice to do for a movie it was actually that came up yesterday because i um so i looked this one up to see how to watch it and um it wasn't streaming anywhere for free i had to pay for it so i went to my my contact to, to get it through nefarious means and he was like okay uh you said Flash Gordon, not Flesh Gordon, right? Because that's a very different movie. I can get it for you, but 
<laughs> Do, you know what? I didn't actually know that there was a movie called Flesh Gordon. I just I took a guess, but I figured there was just in the same way that I'm relatively certain that there's a Saving Ryan's Privates and a Shaving <laughs> Private Ryan and uh, every iteration of that. Like I feel like if if you can make the bad porno joke that somebody's probably made the bad porno. Yes, that yeah. that is indeed the case. Before we get to that, I have a tirade. Oh, please. I I I am very interested. So, uh month of October's Halloween month obviously, and mm-hmm. uh me and Jacqueline wanted to make the most of it. So, we uh we did a movie marathon uh the weekend before Halloween actually. Uh and we watched all the Halloween movies. Oh, that's funny because I've been working my way through the um the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. I'm not I'm not finished. I got like maybe two or three more, but I I've, I kind of did the same thing. Okay. All right. So I, I like I like that, right? Like, I think last year we did, uh, maybe it was two years ago, we did all the Jason movies. The year before that, we did the Nightmare on Elm Street, whatever. Uh, but the, it, so the Halloween movies, uh, whatever, they are what they are. You know, like if you don't like them, you don't like them. I, I can appreciate them to some degree. I hadn't seen most of them. I had seen the first one or two and then like one or two of the later ones. But it occurred to me while watching them uh, that he is the uh, the least successful monster uh, movie guy of all time. He's just really bad at his job. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a quick rundown because I've been thinking about it because it was bothering me. Right? <laughs> Please do. So in the first movie, he decides... Uh, I'll give him his first kill. It works. He wants to kill his older sister. He kills her. No big uh, spoiler there. That's like five minutes into the movie. Uh, then he decides he wants to kill Jamie Lee Curtis. Right? As you do. As you do. Uh, he spends the whole movie trying to do it. He's like, she's an unarmed, no combat training, teenager who doesn't know he's coming, right? Teenage girl who doesn't know he's coming. He tries for an entire movie to kill her and fails. Fine. Movie number two rolls around. We learn that he's nigh indestructible, and he proceeds to spend the entire movie trying to kill Jamie Lee Curtis, and yet again, even though this time she's kind of traumatized and like out of it, he still can't quite get the job done. Right? In the third movie, he becomes fictional within his own fictional realm and doesn't exist. The third one's a real garbage fire of a <laughs> non canonical mess. There's just no, I'm sure there's a whole podcast about how broken that movie is, but Jason's not, or Jason, uh, Mike Myers isn't even in it. Right? So, whatever. Yeah, he was, he was um, making Austin Powers at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, <laughs> so, that movie four rolls around and he decides teenage girls are too tough. He's going to kill an eight-year-old girl, right? An unarmed, uncombat trained eight-year-old girl who, again, doesn't know he's coming. This time, the police decide that they will lock the eight-year-old girl in a house with Jason, bar all the doors and windows so that no one can get out. I keep saying Jason. Uh, and yeah, so Mike that, Myers, and he continues. He is, right. The, the cat in the hat, got he, it. He, he tries an entire movie and can't get the job done, right? Fine. Movie number five. He's like, let me make another run at this same little girl. We're still talking about an eight, nine-year-old little girl here who's unarmed. (laughs) This time, the doctor bars her in a house with Mike Myers so that no one can get out. And yet again, despite being locked in a house with his intended child victim, he cannot seal the deal. (laughs) No dice, right? 
Fine. Let's move on to movie six. Movie six, he's like, eight-year-old girls, still too tough. Let's make it easier. What's the easiest kill in the whole world? A one-day-old infant baby. That's his intended target in movie six. The baby is born at the beginning. He decides he's going to kill the baby. This is his target. We get through a whole movie. Baby's still alive. There is no easier target than that. That's it. You've, you've bottomed out, and he couldn't do it. So then he decides, all right, maybe going younger is not the way to go. Movie seven rolls around. He's like, let me go back after my first target now that she's approaching senior citizen. And I say that she's probably only like 50 in the movie. She's short a senior citizen. And I'm not trying to talk crap on Jamie Lee Curtis, but time gets us all, right? So he's like, let me try this. In that movie, uh, about halfway through, his, his intended victim, Jamie Lee Curtis, locks both of them in a gate and really turns the tables and becomes ultra-violent. Like, to the point where it's like, you locked him in. Not even in the Texas Stand Your Ground states is this okay. It's now like kidnapping and like false imprisonment, right? (laughs) Again, doesn't kill his intended target. Goes back after the same target, only a couple years older, now probably a senior citizen who's locked in an asylum because they decided she was too violent in that last movie. They were like, look, this is... This is ridiculous. You've gone too far here. He, you, you think that he killed her, but he turns out he didn't, despite the fact that she's now a senior citizen locked in an asylum where she can't get away from him. He still didn't apparently get the job done. The movie after that, he goes after her again, only to be tricked, shotgun shot, and locked in a cage and burnt alive by her, her daughter, and her granddaughter really just do a number on him and i won't go too far into the newest movie which we then went out and saw in the theater because i don't want to do any spoilers that one's brand new these other ones if you haven't seen them by now it's on you i'm not going to go too far into the new one other than to say that when you're getting beat up by the dorky kid from breakfast club you got to rethink your 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 job description here right like you can't be the monster anymore (laughs) it's not okay you've yet to kill any of your targets and and now it's it's just getting sad. So, Mike huh. Myers, uh, he's he's got one movie to go apparently in this like new trilogy, and uh, it's a uh, he better come up with something bigger, or Jason and Freddy are really gonna make fun of him. I have never seen a Halloween movie, and you have not sold me. The third one's such a dumpster fire that I it's worth the watch. Like it's uh, <laughs> it is just I don't I don't. Apparently, the Irish community was really upset about it, super offensive towards them. I, it was so far gone that I didn't take any offense. I'm Irish. I was just like, this doesn't make any, like, it's wild. It is, it is a train wreck. So, I, I've, I've, wow. I'm sheepish to say I've never seen them either. Um, what, what is Mike Myers' shtick, right? Like, like, Freddy is set up pretty well that, you know, they explain what his story is and that he, and for, that for some reason he can go into your dreams, right? Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. Jason is sort of just like an undead monster, really. You know, like a, a you know, just sort of a roided out zombie, I guess. Like, what is what is the the Halloween story? I don't really know what that. What is what's Mike, the what is, what stick does he of do that? Besides, not kill babies. Mike Myers' superpower is to evade any semblance of continuity because every movie <laughs> has serious, serious issues with 
just atoning for what the last one did. And they just kind of, other than number one and two, which work pretty well together, after that, it's, it is a cluster uh, of just nonsensical threads that are loosely tied together with characters emerging and unemerging and becoming fictional. And it's, it's really, that's his superpower is non-canonical man. So he's, and he's nigh indestructible. Yeah, cool. He's nigh indestructible. He, I mean, they keep, uh, you know, everything they do to him, he keeps living through. Like these Nightmare on Elm Street ones that I've been watching, it's been fascinating because, like, I feel like they're hit and miss. Like, like one of them will be really good, and then the next one will be really awful. Um, uh, and I feel like with all of them, there's something to it. Like, there's there's something buried in there that they were trying to get at that was, like, interesting, but there's so much, like, goofball nonsense, like, there's so much, like, goofball, let's do a thing in a dream, that it it's hard to, it's hard to find the gem in those movies, you know what I mean? Yeah, I've, so it, it's been a couple years, but uh, I remember really liking number one, thinking, you know what, this was a great movie, and then, like you said, there are, there are gems with, there are, like, pieces of other ones, like, I, I think it was three or four with all the kids with the powers, that had something going for it, but there were there were problems. But it had stuff that was kind of clicking. I remember two being a a pretty bad situation, but I think it was three or four with the kids with the powers. Two was a mess. I think I actually watched that at your house, Sean. Um, uh, three right. is almost like a real movie. Like it's got a uh, Patricia Arquette in it and um, uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Um, although Lawrence Fishburne is like barely in it, but he's like on the cover of the of the movie jacket, I guess, because <laughs> he actually became a star. Um, but, uh, yeah, like that, that, the third one's the one with the kids in the, in the sleep, the, you know, the sleep study hospital that, that all get the powers and stuff. Um, right. The first one's fascinating because it's like, it's basically a independent film, you know, like, like they sort of made that on like no budget with, uh, you know, it was almost like like filming like theater set pieces, you know, that they like built the thing out of spandex, like the wall out of spandex, and then the person pushes their face against it, or uh that there's a, a shot where Johnny Depp dies that's like f- fucking amazing because the bed like squirts out a geyser of blood, so they had to build the room upside down and like dump the blood out of the bed. Like it's, it's fascinating to watch just from like a filmmaking standpoint. But then after that, you know, it was just like, I think, I think that one was so cool that then it became the shtick for the rest of them. Like, let's make weird, bizarro dreams, you know? Right. That the special effects. I mean, uh, I didn't know it was on a shoestring budget, but that the the special effects jumped out at me. I thought they were great, not knowing they didn't have a lot to work with. That that spandex wall thing worked great. Like that's iconic. That was just so creepy. Um, and there was a there was a bunch of others. I remember the first one really just, uh, you know, it was a novel idea, and they had a lot of great special effects. And as far as a horror movie went, like I don't know, I feel like it checked every box. It was good. I have nothing of consequence to add to this. <laughs> I have absolutely nothing to add to this conversation. <laughs> not not seen not seen so, any of them. Just never been a horror guy. It says a lot about Flash Gordon that we're uh, that we're avoiding to talk about it. <laughs> 
Well, let's let's avoid no longer. Let's let's get to the meat and potatoes of while we're here. The big beefy football playing blonde haired meat and potatoes of why we're here. <laughs> uh, Flash Gordon was released on December fifth, nineteen eighty, and was distributed by Universal Pictures. It was directed by Mike Hodges, whose other film credits include nineteen seventy four's The Terminal Man, nineteen eighty five's Morons from Outer Space, and two thousand three's I'll Sleep When I'm Dead. The movie stars Sam Jones, Melody Anderson, Topol, Max von Sydow, Brian Blessed, and more. It tells the story of Flash Gordon, an NFL superstar, I think, quarterback, who wears a shirt with his name on it, who finds himself blasted into space to take down the tyrannical Ming the Merciless with his amazing football skills or something. Um, <laughs> I watched this, uh, like I said before, via nefarious means in my living room with my wife, and I ate leftover Halloween candy and had a glass of chocolate milk. What about you, Sean? Uh, I watched this uh, last week. I, I also dipped into the Halloween candy after we had a nutritious dinner. Of it, and I, I took note of it at the time, and I, I'm sure I asked Jacqueline, what do you call this? And I still don't remember what she said. There's a lot of beans involved. It was probably Indian, if I had to guess. She's always cooking weird stuff. I don't know. It's <laughs> probably the only reason I'm not dead is because she feeds me healthy food. Uh, but then dipped into the Halloween candy prior to Halloween, knowing that we wouldn't get enough kids to fend them all away or run out of candy. So, and we watched in our living room. I paid for it. It was like three bucks. <laughs> Good times. What about you, Paul? Oh, I watched it on the night before Halloween. Ooh. Devil's <laughs> night. Yes. The moon was shining through the window. It was a dark and scary night. I'm, see, I'm, I'm trying to set the mood because, um... Uh, I've talked to some some fans of ours about uh, the podcast, you know, like all three of them, um, and they uh-huh. seem to be like they seem to be torn on this thing of when we'd say how we watch the movie, right? Because um, I've talked to some people that are like, yeah, just get to talking about the movie, but then I had one friend that was like, oh no, like I like hearing how you all watched it, like it sets the mood for me, so I'm I'm like really trying to set the mood. Um, <laughs> uh, I watched it. Uh, remember how you would uh, you would click on the computer what disc you want Netflix to send you, and they'd mail it to your house. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, mm-hmm. so so that's how I watched the movie. They Netflix mailed me a disc, and uh, wow, and I watched it. Yeah, I figured if we were you know going to watch an old school movie, I should do it in, in an old school way. Um, <laughs> uh, I ate. Uh, this is gonna sound weird. Um, I ate uh, a meat, some meatloaf and yucca fries and uh, a grilled cheese sandwich. Um, I know that I know that sounds like uh, like two weird things to eat together, but uh, like I had one of these like like bistro MD meals, which was the the meatloaf thing. So they're like small. Um, so I was gonna cook that for myself because it was late. And then uh, Sherry got home and she started making a grilled cheese, and I was like, I want a grilled cheese. Um, and she was like, Okay. So she made me a grilled cheese. So I ate both things. So, I mean, like, I guess you probably don't lose weight with the bistro stuff if you also eat a grilled cheese sandwich, but that's that's what I did. (laughs) All right, now I forget, uh, which of us had, who's seen this before? This was my first time seeing this movie. Same. Yeah, so I watched it a whole bunch when I was a little kid. I haven't seen it in years, but uh, I remember as a child, I loved this movie. It was great. It's like Flash Gordon's on. All right. All right. Uh, I also loved this movie. Um, I th- I thought this was just 
it was so much fun and you could tell that everyone making it was having so much fun like if it didn't show off like all those comic book pages in the beginning it would almost you could almost imagine that they took this seriously but they set the tone perfectly for how seriously they were taking this by like just acknowledging exactly how silly this is and i i was i was very very i'm not going to say it was quote unquote good like i i don't think it was trying to be good but i was very entertained by just how everyone just dove headfirst into this stupid movie and it just made it so much fun to watch yeah chris i i think you have something because uh, you're right, it's hard to say if it was good or not. Uh, it you know it definitely had some amazing things going for it. Um, uh, I mean the 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 set pieces and all the extras and the costumes and stuff like it was a spectacle. Mm-hmm. Like um, it was constant like, spectacle. It, yeah, it was quite a thing to watch. Um, I'll admit it took me a little bit to wrap my head around because it was like, I'm watching a movie that was made in the eighties, but it is about a, uh, like a comic book and a like serialized, you know, show from the like thirties, I guess. Um, so it, like it was, I think it was kind of good that they had all that comic book stuff in the beginning because it, it set the Mm -hmm. scene, but like the, the the thing I sort of wrote down about this movie is like the only thing wrong with it was I wish there was more of it. Like, like <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying I I wished it was a longer movie. I'm saying like all the stuff about it. I wished there was more. Like, uh, like when it started, right? It was it was uh, what's his face? Um, uh, you know, Emperor Ming's uh voice. Um, uh. What's what's that actor's name? Max von Sydow. Oh yeah, Max von Sydow's voice, and um, and like you know, the Earth is up on that view screen, you know, and he's like, oh, like I'm, I forget what he said, something about I'm gonna, I'm gonna play with it a little bit before I destroy it or something like that. And then there was before like before you move all forward, those... there is a very important point that happened right there at the start of the movie. Yeah, the, the you hear a voice explaining to him what they call earth they're like oh yes they call it earth and so he presses the already existing <laughs> earthquake button <laughs> okay all so right. you all right <laughs> there's an earthquake button but you didn't know the place was called earth you th- you think it. it's you think that having an earthquake button when they didn't know it was called earth is weirder than the fact that they had hot hail well we didn't see the hot hail until after the earthquake button so it was it was just building right up to it as soon as i saw the hot hail, i was like all right i'll bite what the hell is hot hail (laughs) sorry to interrupt please go on no it i mean it's okay i I was i was just gonna say you know like we hear max von sidow's voice there's that the the earth up on the view screen and he's you know showing all the things he's going to do to it and then there's sort of that like drawn graphic over the earth like it's it's being targeted so like you're sort of seeing this like you know 
cheap B-movie sci-fi aesthetic with this like almost comic book thing over top of it, right? And then uh and then it goes right into the the opening credits um where it's uh Queen performing and it's mm-hmm. like more of that scene cut with that those comic book images that sort of like zoom at the screen in a like crazy fast-paced way. And I watched that and I was like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. Like, this is going to be the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, (laughs) And then I just don't think that any of it really sustained that level of cool after that. Like, I felt like there needed to be, you know, more like more crazy comic book stuff, more like Queen, you know, like, I mean, Queen clearly scored the whole movie, but like, some of it was the same song rehashed. Some of it was just like some some guitar licks. Like I really thought the thing was going to be like a rock opera with like Queen heavily featured. Um, uh, you know there was there was just so much cool at the beginning, and the, you know there was definitely like memorable parts through the movie. But like the way that that was dialed up to eleven, I just wanted everything dialed up to eleven. Like. Yeah, I definitely trailed off. Like toward the middle of the movie, I I kind of like, I I fell asleep for like a minute or two towards the middle of the movie because, yeah, you're you're 100 right. They didn't sustain that level of insane cool, but they did swing back to it. And like, I fell asleep because I was exhausted more than anything. In old movies, like old movies, put me to sleep. It's one of the reasons that like Mystery Science Theater is my go-to if I really need to fall asleep at night. I'll put an episode of Mystery Science Theater I've seen a hundred times almost on. every night. Almost yeah. every night, Mystery just, Science Theater. It's yep. just a great way to fall. Like, there's something about the sound of old movies that like really puts me down. It puts me in my happy place, and this movie filled me with all sorts of happiness. So I, I fell asleep happily, not you know because I was super bored or anything. But it did get pretty dry in the middle. But you're right; like they had all this like really crazy fantastical stuff, and then I don't think they really knew exactly where to go with it. And so I think they just kind of did whatever <laughs> came into their heads, and like, did they? Did they explain? I remember when they brainwashed uh, Tevia from Fiddler on the Roof, and they uh, then like there was a scene later where he was flying with the girl, and he explained that he thought about like baseball and stuff, and that allowed him to not be brainwashed. Was there any explanation before that? Because that's where I dozed off, and I was like, "Wow, that dude was like just acting brainwashed," and there wasn't even like any cut in between. It was just like now all of a sudden. Oh yeah, I'm not brainwashed. We're flying away and everything's cool. Like, was there any sort of build up to that or did that just kind of like happen? There was one I have shot so where so many notes about all of this. <laughs> I So, first let me say that I was worried that you guys were going to be like Sean's never led to pick a movie again because as I was watching, I was like the nostalgia factor for me is just so high. When they got to that scene where they're fighting on the table, the you know, oh, the, thing with the, the spikes. The table that had the sp- Oh, that was great. Like, that Timothy took me- Dalton. Just, Timothy Dalton. Oh, man. That man, he, I love him so much because he's just, he will throw himself into whatever <laughs> stupid shit you want. Like, man, he was, what did he, what was his character? He played Rassilon on the, the newer series of Doctor Who and was so completely camp. Like, I was watching this with Karen. She's a huge classic Doctor Who fan. She's like, are we sure we're not watching Doctor Who right now? Because this is like, this is Doctor Who. <laughs> this is that level of just delicious old sci-fi. But yes, that table scene was so, so much th- fun. That takes wait, me back to being like wait, six Wait, can I or say seven. something? 
I just think that that's what most other movies are missing is trial by combat on a <laughs> tilting disc with spikes and whips. Like you, you just you don't see that many people fighting with whips. You definitely don't see that many people with fighting with whips on a tilting disc with spikes. Like and I think, think real life the, is missing that. You think about <laughs> the pit scene from the original Mortal Kombat movie, like, or just think about the pit in Mortal Kombat, right? That's fine, but that was like a big deal. Like, oh, it's the pit, and it's got all the spikes at the bottom. But this is that on a rotating table, and the spikes are moving around. They're not just like always there. Like, oh, the spikes disappear. Oh, they're coming back. They're like retracting in di- random intervals. And there's a and black stuff. hole underneath the table. Right? Like, forget about it. This is a, this was a really really high stakes situation. I love it. Right. So th- the nostalgia factor for me is huge. And I was, and I was trying to like push it aside while I was watching it so we could talk about it and not just rely on my nostalgia for it. And the, it occurred to me as I was watching towards the beginning, I was like a lot of what you guys already said. was like, well, that that's good. And that's bringing me into a comic book movie. And then parts of it start to get really bad. Like the football fight scene. I'm like, is it so bad that it's good? Cause it's bad. And I'm like, no, because then it turns around and it does something legitimately good, like Queen comes in with a song that I've had stuck in my head for 30 years. <laughs> Flash, ah, just that, that one lick, like, that'll just pop in my head randomly, even if I hadn't seen the movie Pretty in 10 much years. the whole song, too. It's great. Yeah, it's pretty much the whole song. So, that was... <laughs> so, I, I don't even know what to say about the movie itself now that I just rewatched it with a more critical eye, but the, uh, to your point, there's one quick scene where they hint at it, but I think I only picked it up because I knew it was coming because I kind of remembered the plot as, I, as it was unfolding in front of me, was uh, the, the guy says, what is your name? And he goes, Arlon Zoloff. I don't remember what the guy's first name was. Whatever it was. And then he goes, I mean, Commander Zoloff of the right, Spy Corps okay. or whatever. So like it was a little tip to let you know. I didn't realize that was Tevye from Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> Do you realize that Timothy Dalton's side guy was Riff Raff from Rocky Horror Picture Show? Uh, I think I knew that. Oh, right? Was that yeah. the same guy that was... Oh, and uh, the head Thanagarian guy, the, the totally not DC Comics Thanagarian Hawkman, <laughs> um, that main guy was Boss Nass in Star Wars Episode One. Oh, wow. The fact that they had <laughs> Tevya and Riff Raff I think Paul's right. This should have been a full-on rock opera. The costumes were there for it. They had the they had the, the singing chops ready to go. They had Queen. I think they missed a big opportunity not making it a rock Sean, opera. Sean, honestly, some of the weakest parts of this movie were like the main, like Flash Gordon was just like wait wait he was just a have a toast. I, was- I I can't believe that Sean didn't know that was Tevia because like I. I'll, to be fair, and I love that movie. I love Fiddler. It's oh a great yeah, movie. like we just rewatched it somewhat recently. Like we saw it on Netflix, and you know it was one of those things we went past, and then we were like, "Should we watch this?" And we were like, "Yeah, we're in for this." Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I've so I, to be fair, I've never seen him in any other movies except Fiddler on the Roof and and this and Flash Gordon. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he's been in plenty of other things, like. I'm sure he's been in plenty of other movies. I don't I don't know what they are, but I also know that he made a huge career out of just playing Tevia. That like he he played it on Broadway, he played it in the revival. Like I think he he did that role for years, deservingly so. Um but uh like like hearing his voice is so like iconic. You know, like like when he first That's showed how up. I recognized the- him was his voice. I didn't recognize his face at all. When when he first showed up in that scene, which like can can you guys help me out? Did 
did Zarkov and, and Munson there live in a laboratory? Did they live in a, a basement or a greenhouse? They were both yes. sleeping <laughs> in a thing, you know, and then he wakes up and he's like, you know, check the vectors or whatever he says. Like, what what the hell was that? <laughs> I think you're 100% right. They lived in that lab. It reminded me of the beginning of, like, Independence Day, right? Where there was that, these dudes, like, just in this lab monitoring space stuff all the time and, like, they were half asleep and somebody had a cot in the corner or something like that. I just totally figured they just live in this lab monitoring this space stuff 24-7. It was a little weird yeah, when he the, pulled the, the gun on the guy. That was... <laughs> it was weird that he had the gun because, like, he was ready. Like, that's preemptive. It'd be one this thing, is, spur the moment, no, this is important, I gotta keep him here. He thought this through. He was like, I might need to get a gun to keep that guy here. This is, like, he knew this well, is the situation. He's like, we're gonna have to fly away in this rocket ship. He's not gonna want to do it, so I gotta be armed. I gotta be ready to threaten this guy's life to get him in that spaceship. But that, so that was my like, that was my big note about this movie was that like it seemed to set things up that then it forgot about like moments later, right? Um, so so yeah, when when we first see him and and he's. You know, like, I clearly recognized that voice as, as Tevia from Fiddler on the Roof. Like, I, I kept expecting him to burst out into song. Like, I I couldn't hear his like, voice and not expect him to be like, they gave each other a pledge. Like, that, <laughs> like that was the next thing I expected him to say every time. Um, but he, yeah, so he, he seems like he's going to be a villain in that first scene that, like, he pulls the gun yeah. on his his buddy there, and he's like, "I'm gonna force you into this rocket." That guy runs away. Uh, you know, coincidentally, Flash and Dale crash there, and he, you know, forces them into the rocket. And then I was, you know, like moments later, I was like, "They're all kind of chummy with him for the fact that he just like held them hostage and forced them into space, right? And tricked them into outer space." But of course, like, What's-Her-Face fell in love with Flash Gordon after spending, like, an afternoon with him in a plane while he's wearing a t-shirt with his own name on it. <laughs> and he's like, but what about our kids? <laughs> and then, like, like halfway through the movie, she's like, I love you. I'm like, why? <laughs> You've spent no more time with him since the beginning. <laughs> How did you fall in love with him not being there? It's ridiculous. And and maybe that was the thing that made it a comic book, you know that that they sort of <laughs> they sort of were making it up as they go, and that they forgot what they did like two scenes later. Because I feel like that's a thing that happens in comic books that you're you know like you're reading a thing, some villain does a really egregious thing to the hero, and then you know twenty issues go by, and then it's like oh now he has to team up with that villain to. Uh, you know, save the world or whatever it is. And you're like, he'd never do that. That guy killed his father, you know, or whatever it is. But then you're <laughs> like, all right, it's a comic book, I guess. So that's one thing I, I thought they actually did really well as I was watching it this time. I feel like they, they, uh, they threw a lot of nods to a bunch of just disconjointed history. Not that I'm a Flash Gordon expert, but as far as I know, it's a comic strip. That started in like the 30s. I think you were right on the decade there. I mean, give or take, could have been the 20s, could have been the 40s. And then there was a, a black and white uh, movie serial in like ah, 50s, right? And like the serials were always famous, any of them really, any of the superhero type serials 
were always famous for like they'd kill the good guy and you'd you'd see him die or whatever and you'd come back next week to find out how he got through it. So when they put him in the death chamber and they poisoned him and then it turns out he's okay, I was like, perfect, you nailed that one. The spaceship that they're flying around in just had this ridiculous look like it came out of a 1920s movie, like one of those ones where the moon gets hit in the eye with the rocket. Uh, yeah. Like the ship was just perfect to the, uh, to the science fiction period that this came from. Uh, the costumes were all so far, so far over the top to be brilliant. Um, extremely flamboyant. Extremely flamboyant and reminded me of any still shots I saw of like the old ones or, or what the old ones were trying to be on, on no budget. And the old comic strips with just the comic strips were always good for like crazy colors. It's like, you know, because they didn't care because it was a comic strip. So in one, one scene, Flash is wearing a bright red shirt and the next panel it's a bright green shirt and you're like did he change clothes what happened here but really it's just they ran out of ink they were like f it a bunch of kids won't even notice um and i feel like they hit i don't, I don't know as far as like if they were just like you know what this is just a nod to any flash gordon fans that are out there we're gonna make sure we hit all the points just for you we don't care how it turns out we're gonna have fun and you know whatever you loved about it it's there's gonna be a little bit of that in here it's like they did that they they worked it all in that's really cool to hear. I didn't really know that about the, the, the serialized nature, but that makes so much sense. Because like, I remember looking at that scene where he was you know, in the, the poison chamber and being like, all right, so how's he getting through this next time on Flash Gordon? And it like, didn't even connect to me that uh, that's a very you know, a, a serious nod to the, uh, the serialized nature of the original. Yeah, I, I think that... Um, yeah, I mean, I think Sean nailed it, that, that they were really trying to recreate that feel and that became more and more apparent to me as the as the movie went on i also just think though that because it was a movie and because to a certain extent they were trying to take themselves serious like like i know that there was a lot of laughable stuff in there that was kind of jokes that was built in and i know there was other laughable stuff just because it felt so dated watching it now but like all in all, the thing is not a parody. The thing is a movie, you know? So mm-hmm. I think just having a little more cohesion, like a little more um, thinking out the plot points better would have helped it, uh, you know? And and I, I say that with the utmost respect for the fact that they were trying to, like, you know, that they were trying to recreate a, a comic book and a serial type thing. But... You know, we we sort of talked about uh, you you talked about Tevia. Uh, I guess I'll stop calling him Tevia. Zarkov, and you know that all right. He was he was the villain, and then you know moments later they're connecting with him like a buddy or whatever, and that and so like he goes from holding them by gunpoint to uh to them kind of all commiserating together to then them wiping his mind uh to them him being agent Zarkov. And then like, like here was another thing, right They're They're like, now we have to reprogram him. And they're like, don't put him past level three. And she's like, okay. And then that guy <laughs> walks out of the room and she's like, put him at level six. And they're like, not level six. And I'm like, Oh my God, what's that mean? Level six. Like <laughs> this is going to be insane. And then it's like, that never gets explained. Never comes back. Not even important, you know? And then, like, later he's like, you know, I defeated them. I thought of the human experience. And, you know, 
And then all of a sudden he's kind of the like the face of uh human resiliency. And I'm like, dude, this is the guy that had them by gunpoint at the beginning of the movie. So I'm kind of like, but like his whole thing, the reason he did that was because nobody was going to believe him. He's like, no, 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 I'm here to, I'm going to save humanity, but nobody believes me ever, which is why I'm living in this science lab in the middle of nowhere because everyone disowned me or whatever. It's like, I feel like his heart was always in the right place. He just always assumed that nobody was going to believe him. And he talks about trading one life for millions, whether it's sometimes he's talking about killing somebody else to save everybody on Earth. Or sometimes he's talking about himself, so then you think he's selfless. But at the same time, that kind of boils down to a whole, do the ends justify the means? And he's clearly on the yes side of that. <laughs> yeah. Which I think that's usually the bad guy stance, but it's more of the the bad guy you kind of get with stance. It's yeah, more of the Magneto situation where it's like, you're the bad guy, but I get where you're coming from. You, you know, I get you. Kind of an anti-hero. Not, yeah. He was an interesting character. Yeah. And I, I think you're right, and I do think that the other thing that this was missing was, like, a likable main character. Like, everybody everybody in the movie, including Queen, was talking about how, like, he's a miracle. And I'm looking at him like, but what does he do? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, makes, what exactly makes this guy special other than everyone keeps telling me that he's really special? Like... They got there. He's like, he's the he's the guy that's gonna rally the troops. They're they're ready for to rally behind somebody, and this guy is the guy. Like, cause his t-shirts is Flash. Like, I don't understand what he's the only character in the movie that seemed like to have no real personality other than like you know blonde hair. He looked really weird too. It's like, is he not a natural blonde? Something about it, the skin tone hair color thing just seemed really off to me with him. The uh, maybe that was. I mean, putting his shirt on or his name on his shirt. I mean. It's huge just getting name recognition. I mean, think of all the, the banners you see for who you're voting for. People just got the name on their front yard. Those people get elected from that. It doesn't tell you their position on anything. It doesn't tell you anything. They're just like, Joe, Joe, Joe Jorgensen. And you're like, oh, I guess I should vote for Joe Jorgensen. You don't know anything about him. Flash is like Flash. And everyone's like, yeah, Flash. That's a good idea. We should, we should follow him. That's, that's really good. I know his name. Yeah, it's cool. So... You know, maybe that's all they—that's all they needed. I also thought, it really, speaking of names, I was just really tickled in the beginning where the the pilot wanted him to autograph the thing for his kid, and his kid's name was Buzz. <laughs> 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 I don't know why that cracked me up so much. What else would a pilot name his kid? It's of course, Buzz. Really? Hey, Flash, sign this for Buzz. <laughs> okay, Zap. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, the, the weirdest special effect. And I remember thinking about it when I was a kid, and I noticed it this time, and I don't know if you guys saw it, because it's, it's quick. When the pilots get killed in the plane, they get shot with a red ray from outer space, which I don't know what the ray was about. They were already hitting us with hot hail. The ray seems like overkill. <laughs> but as the pilots, as you see a, a glimpse of it, it's, it's Ming flying at the jet. In the red ray. Yes, did I did that? see that. Yeah, I, I saw that. I didn't catch that. I actually blinked for a second and was like, where the hell did the pilots go? If like, I blinked, looked down at it. something, and then I looked back up, and all of a sudden, the pilots were gone. What yeah, if you blink, you, you missed it, but you didn't see them pull the pilots out or anything. You don't know what happened to the pilots. I, I would assume when windshields get smashed on a plane, the, you get sucked out, right? There's some sort of drop in air pressure. That's what I'm going to chalk that one up to. But I don't know why Ming was in the, the ray. And I don't think they ever got back to it. Not that we really need to hold up the movie on a small technicality of 
what the fuck was that? But they they really didn't delve too deeply into what Ming's powers were, and like, like why was everyone so scared of this guy? Like I know he had that ring, but like outside of that, he didn't seem like like when Flash was on that planet that was going to blow up or whatever, and like Ming just shows up and has a casual conversation with him, like you want to join me or something, like do some stuff i'll give you a planet or a kingdom or something he's like no and then he just he just pisses off he's like all right later like <laughs> flash didn't even think of like throwing a haymaker or anything like just, he's right there just beat him up like he's got his back turned just take him down he's got a ring it, don't let him use the ring what else does this guy have on anybody and then at the end he just gets he just gets basically washed from a uh, uh, serenity like he just gets planed right through the chest he's a leaf on the wind now he's dead. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I understood Ming's ring. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't think we were supposed to. Like, like I get that it had this power and it could do things and it could zap things. But then, like, I'm not quite certain what happened to Ming at the end. Like, y- you know, he seemed like he was <laughs> he seemed like he was like building he was up fine. to something. Yeah, like yeah. he was like, "You'll never defeat me." And then the ring is just like, just erases him. Like it was very strange. And then you get the, the 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 question mark at the end. The end, and Ming's laughing in the background. Like, oh. And somebody picks up his ring. Is he in the ring? Was that him picking up the ring? Did he actually not die? Or is it a clone? Is he like the Emperor from Rise of Skywalker, and he's just going to show up out of nowhere on a planet outside of the I galaxy? I only assume that since they were making this in early 1980, right? It was released late 1980. They're making this early 1980. They probably got greenlit in 79, right? They're watching Star Wars blow up and make a million action figures and make a fortune. And they're like, we don't understand why that happened, but let's make sure we leave this open to toys and a sequel in case this just explodes. I'm sure that's part of why it got greenlit. Because right around that time, anything that was remotely space-oriented was like, yeah, all right. Right. Star Wars is ridiculous. Let's see if we can get a little piece of that. So Tommy got great classics like Space Mutiny. (laughs) <laughs> i'm guessing that's what the, the the question mark at the end was they were like we might need to come back to this so i think leave it open i think it was just so confusing that they were like is it the end we we don't even know like it's anybody's guess yeah the end wait the movie's so- gonna stop we're just not sure if it's over <laughs> yeah i mean look like look here's some more stuff that they set up that they just they just never got back to right um what what did you what did you say the who did who did you say the hawk guy was chris the hawk guy also did the voice of boss nass in star wars episode one i mean and like and, and, that's like that was driving me nuts because i knew his voice so well i kept hearing him talk like i know that voice so i looked him up was like oh in in all my notes, I just called him Bird Person. Um, so uh, so I, I mean, I might have just called him that because he didn't have his name on his shirt. So I I just wrote down Bird Person. Um, but Brian uh, Blessed is his name. But like, there was a scene where they were all. It was it was sort of in that big hall at the beginning where they sort of showed you the bird people and the tree people and the the you know midgets on leashes and all that other stuff right and um and uh uh they're talking about why they can't all uh why they can't all unite and take over ming 
Um, and like, they're like, what about you bird person? And then they're like, Oh, he can't because of his daughter. And they show like some girl that's supposed to be like bird person's daughter. And I was like, that's going to be important. Wasn't important. Not at all. Never came back. Um, what the heck else? Uh, yeah, that level six thing where they're like, he, you know, like dial him up to level six. Never came back. Uh, there, there was a scene where they were torturing Ming's daughter. Um, the, the sort of like overly sexualized one, which I was, I was sort of like, what is going on between Ming and his daughter? Like, it's a little creepy. Um, yeah, that was, that was a little weird, but they're torturing her. And then they say something like, get the ball worms. And I was like, oh, God, the ball worms. That sounds terrifying. And then I, like, I, I looked it up to see if there was a thing in Flash Gordon. Don't look up ball worms. Like, bad move. Um, you know what? But, I think they said boar worms, which might have helped in your, your, uh, your Google search. Oh. Not that I know that it's going to come up, but it, it would have probably been less terrible. I I, li- I thought they said ball worms, but it doesn't matter because we never saw the ball worms. worms. I just and, started typing it in. I typed in Flash Gordon boar, and then worms followed it up. So, yeah, like uh, now that you're mentioning it, I thought of one they never got back to. He was in that mud cage, and you were sure he was going to go back down and help that other guy who was drowning in the mud. He, he was like, "I'll be back," and then like they turn on him up top, and they try to kill him, and he's got to make a run for it, but like. He doesn't go back and help that guy. That guy died in that cage. Like he was like, "Hold on, you can make it. We'll come back. We're gonna <laughs> go get some point. weapons." And then they turn on him. In all fairness, he's running for his life. I get that, but it was odd for the movie to set that up, and then just like Flash moves on, and like the quicksand seemed like it was really no problem. Right? No. He was like, "Oh no!" They made a big deal about him like sinking down, and then the next scene, he's just casually sauntering out of but they so i thought that was another throwback to the the serial thing where you see the good guy die yeah and you're like he's dead and then they move on to another scene real quick and then they jump back and he's crawling out because he found some tentacle or whatever he found something to to climb out of but like he didn't seem all that bothered he was just like okay i got this and they went like in backwards but this is great so i'm I'm on the uh the flash gordon fandom.com and I will read you the entire page about the boar worm. <laughs> Over, overview. Boar worms are mongo creatures used to torture prisoners. Clytus threatens Princess Aura with them in this memorable exchange from the movie. Quote, Clytus, bring me the boar worms. Aura, no, not the boar worms. The end. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's all the information on it. the boar worms. Yep. Uh, it's beautiful. And I love that kind of stuff where it's just like the movie makes this assumption like, well, we're just going to say it. We're just going to say it with a lot of gravity and make it seem like it's a thing, but we're going to say it with enough gravity that we don't need to explain what it is. Like, um, it reminded me a lot of, uh, everything about this reminded me of mystery science theater, but one of my favorite episodes of mystery science theater was, um, outlaw. Was it was it Outlaw? Yeah, with Miles O'Keefe. Fugitive Airway? Oh. And um how, how much O'Keefe? <laughs> Miles O'Keefe. <laughs> there was this great bit where they were talking about all the uh, the different things in the movie where like they were explaining the backstory of the previous movie, uh, you know, A Tour of of Gore or whatever. Uh and they were they were going in all this like 
everything had all these fancy names and Joel was telling the robot that the robot's like, well, why does everything have all these weird fancy names? Like, oh, because it makes it sound more important. And and it always reminds me of like every time I see a paperclip, I refer to it as incredible bent piece of wire used to hold press wood pulp planes in security because that way is way more impressive than saying paperclip. And it was a, a great joke from that movie. But they did that all the time in that movie. And this just reminded me of that. Like they would just add gravity to things for no reason other than be like, nah, trust us, this means something, but we don't have time to explain it and we didn't really think this through. So just, <laughs> just look, something's glowing. <laughs> yeah. To um to Chris's point about Flash Gordon and and like is he like is he amazing or is he a lunk, you know, like that like there there was a it was so weird because the times when they sort of made him like just a like just a beefy uh uh hapless goof um was that football scene but like i i thought that football scene was hilarious um, oh god me too that was that was amazing or that you know like he, when he's in the the plane with uh aura and she's all over him which you know, again, you're kind of like, like, what's the deal with Flash? Is he the hero? Do we want him to be with Dale? Do we not want him to be with Dale? I guess I can't get mad that he's like, quote unquote, quote, almost cheating on Dale because like he and Dale just met, you know, they, they even say as much. Um, but like, I don't know, it was sort of hilarious how, you know, she's all over him and then she's like, look, I can think these thoughts to people. And he's like, oh, cool, hook me into Dale. You know, and then like he, he's talking to Dale and he's like, man, this chick's all over me. <laughs> or something like that, you know? And, and you're like, is is he supposed to be the, you know, the the suavest, awesomest hero? Or is he supposed to be a, a, a beefy, chiseled lunk that we... <laughs> it just happens to stumble into greatness, you know. I, it, if the if the movie made more steps to outline that journey, it, it might have might have made a little more sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, him and Dale did like really nothing for me. Everybody else in this movie was like fun to watch, but those two were just like, I don't, I don't buy either of you. <laughs> I don't buy either of you in any way. <laughs> When Dale escapes and can all of a sudden do backflips and karate kick everybody, and you're just like, what <laughs> is was, happening? Yeah, that was weird, right? I she's forgot just, all about that. She has that weird fight scene. She's taking guys out left and right, right, and then she gets the gun and she shoots a couple guys who can't seem to hit her despite their training. <laughs> and then and then she like takes out the last one and just puts down the gun and walks away. It's like, why'd you put down the gun? You're trying to escape this castle. You had a gun a second ago. Why, why don't you have the gun anymore? <laughs> Oh yeah, I kind of forgot about that scene. Um, uh, I don't know. I guess. Uh, I, I guess in the scene's defense, the guy that she was fighting was like, kind of looked clumsy and was in a gas mask kind of setup. Like, uh, uh, that was sort of a weird robotic looking dude. <laughs> they made robot noises when they got shot, but they also screamed like they were hurt. <laughs> And I was like, is this a is this a robot that it can feel? Did they program the robots to no pain? That just seems like a messed up thing to do, right? When was Doctor Doom created? Nineteen sixty-two. Oh, like look at that. that Come dude on, I had that. Was so Doctor Doom. Like th that that entire really, you did have that. Nineteen sixty-two. Absolutely nailed it. But like, I kept seeing things that were like, all right, did this stuff 
come from the original Flash Gordon comic book, or are they just like cribbing other stuff? Because the dude that was like Ming's right hand man was like, well, that's Doctor Doom. Like, not character wise, but design wise, metal face, the hood, the whole nine yards. Right. It looks like Doctor Doom. And then the Thanagarians were like, they called him Hawkman. They had the wings. They had the thing in the middle. They were basically naked. They had the mace. It's like, those are Thanagarians from DC Comics. Like, right. Did DC steal that from original Flash Gordon, or I believe the old Flash Gordon comic strips had Hawk Men, but again, I'm not a Flash Gordon expert. Like I vaguely, mm. I you know, I vaguely know it a little bit. I believe they had Hawk Men, but my guess is that the costume design was heavily influenced by the uh, you know the DC comic book character. Well, he was from 1961, and the... the Hawkman would have gone back earlier than that, I think. I think Hawkman's oh, a Golden Age character. 40, right, yeah. January 1940. So, hmm. And the Flash Gordon stuff was from the 30s. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Everybody was stealing from everybody, in all fairness. Yeah. I mean, he's Hawkman. It's a little vague. It's a little, it's a little generic. It's bird person. Meanwhile, <laughs> lizard men. Oh man, that was the one part where the costume designers. I don't know. They were just. It was a lot of marijuana that really day. dropped the ball on those ones. I mean, like everything else had obviously it had this kind of like B movie kind of quality to it in general. But those lizard man costumes were hilarious. The lizard men costumes look like DMM costumes. It's like that's they the costume did. we would make. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that we would come up with. And before they, they reprised Lizardmen existing, I absolutely love that scene where they're just walking down the hall and then like, it's a lizard man. Get it. And then they did. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell was that? <laughs> yeah, and that was our, our there, first are there more lizard man. <laughs> that was our first exposure to the lizard man, and he kind of shrieked and then he like just evaporated. <laughs> you there, lizard man, be dead. <laughs> That was amazing. Oh, that was it amazing. almost would have been better if they never went back to it. You know, just don't show <laughs> right. us another one the whole movie. Just like, yep, that happened. <laughs> that was... Well, I think they only had so many oh my God. costumes and, you know, things like that. I think they had to, you know, recycle them. You know, it seemed like, seemed like the, yeah, like the costumes were designed in a way where it was like, all right, these are, these are the bird people. These are the tree people. These are the, um, you know. Whatever the lizard people, uh, I don't know. Uh, the 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 tree people were kind of interesting. Like they all, they all kind of looked like Robin Hood, which was weird. And then, uh, uh, I, I'm not sure I understood that ceremony where they stuck their hand in the stump with the the weird, uh, <laughs> you know, the weird uh, uh scorpion monster. That was uh. Wow, that was really something. That was around when I started dozing off when they first started doing that. And then, like, how did Timothy do like, I can't believe he fell for that. He stuck his hand in there. He's like, oh, no, I've been bit. And he's, like, covering up the, you don't see any of the wound. And then, like, he gets close and he knocks him out. I was like, how did you fall for that? Why are you so stupid, Timothy Dalton? So I'm looking at uh, still images of the lizard man costume. I, I, it's really something. It's really special. Like the face is inside the mouth, and the eyes are looking in the wrong directions. It's it is it's a thing of beauty. Yeah, the eyes were literally right next to the tongue, right? Right. Yeah. Oh God. 
I don't know. I don't understand what I'm looking at. It's like there's the mouth's open and it's all red and then there's teeth. Like, so here is a lizard mouth, but instead of the inside of a mouth, there's like some dude's face. <laughs> it's amazing. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh again, I, I feel like there was like different people working on it and it was like, well, well Tim made these lizard men costumes. He's pretty proud of them. I guess we got to put them in a couple of scenes. I don't know. He wasted a good chunk of the budget on it. What'd you do? I did an army of hawkmen. These wings look great. <laughs> I I turned all these short people into they had giant shoulders for some reason. All the fancy looking uh you couldn't see him, like, who was inside the costumes. They looked like mm-hmm. uh, those red-robed Star Wars, uh, the, I don't know enough about Star Wars, the fancy red stormtroopers. I want to say Sith guards. Sith but... guards? Is that what they are? Oh, they're they like are. the palace hall guards or something like that? Yeah, yeah, it looked like them, but, you know, half the height and double the shoulders. It was it was wild. So, I like that they had the, like, the, the little... The, the the little people right like the 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 lollipop guild was there they had these like ridiculous like the master from uh manos the hands of fate outfits on minus the hands they just like look like big squares and they like, kick that's that what dude i'm talking about giant shoulders coming yeah. out of them yeah it was amazing now did you guys take note that the one little person who was i guess the like pet of aura that that feels very um not cool to say, but like he was on a leash. Was he the Oompa Loompa? He was the Oompa Loompa in that Johnny Depp Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I freaking knew it. I knew that guy looked familiar. I was like, oh, that guy's totally an Oompa Loompa. But then I started thinking of the, you know, the not awful uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie. And I was like, nah, that's not the same dude. Why do I think that guy's an Oompa Loompa? And then you just, you just connected that dot for me right there. Yeah, or Sean might know him from an episode of the X-Files where he, like, crawled into people's butts. Yes, thank you. God, I was like, I didn't see the Charlie and Chocolate Factory with Johnny Depp. Everyone said it was bad, so I didn't watch it. That's what I know him from. I knew if I I brought up some obscure episode of the X-Files, you would know what I was talking about. (laughs) Because I thought it was familiar, too, and then Chris is saying that. I'm like, no, I'm wrong because I didn't see Charlie and Chocolate Factory. But no, you're right. It's the... is that one? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Ah, feels better. Feels better. Well, I mean, I've exhausted all of my notes about this. I mean, I just thought it was, I thought it was real good, stupid fun. I, uh, I mean, and I love that it didn't take itself too seriously. The, the only other note that I had, and I, you know, we kind of touched on it, but uh, just, just the weird relationship between Ming and Aura. Well, actually, I guess uh-huh. I had two mm-hmm. notes. Um, you know, one was just that, like, I don't know, how racist was it that the space emperor was a, like, stereo, like, overly stereotypicalized Asian dude? Like, you know, a white guy being an overly stereotypicalized Asian dude. Like, that was problematic. Um, but, uh, yeah, just about Ming and, and Aura, uh, like, alright, like, it was, it was creepy. And there was definitely weird, like, sexual tension stuff between them that you were like, this this creeps me out a little bit. But, like, towards the end, when they had captured her and, you know, and were, like, punishing her, they threw her in that room with all the other concubines, I guess so that she could have the scene with, with Dale. Um, and then she tells Dale that Ming always takes 
a power potion pill before he makes love so like she can poison him and i'm like oh my god is ming gonna fuck his daughter like what is happening here it, if so if i had to guess about the 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 white guy beating up the Asian, the stereotypical Asian guy, if I had to guess, the Ming character probably didn't originate at the exact same time as Flash Gordon, and I, just about every comic book in the 30s into 40s, I mean, Asians were portrayed as, as inhuman because it was during World War II, and they were giving these comics to the troops, and they were intentionally kind trying to dehumanize uh, the enemy because we were asking... A bunch of teenage boys to go and kill these people so we're like let's make them not think they're think of them as human like that was like an intentional move um you know right wrong or otherwise like i i kind of get it you're asking to do something terrible you're trying to help them like i don't know it's a terrible situation but my guess is uh even if ming existed slightly before world war ii at that point he probably took on that asian um appearance um, and then that probably just became kind of, uh, uh, you know, that's what that character looked like now, you know, like that's how he was drawn at that point. And then even once they weren't trying to push, uh, racism anymore, they were like, well, this, this guy's been Asian for 30 years. We're not going to change it now. Ming is, Ming is an Asian bad guy. Apparently. Yeah. And then the movie was just kind of like, well, it's what it looks like in the comics. So, well, People There's probably are, racist undertones there that just, I don't know. I don't know. How do you fix that kind of thing at this point? I don't Yeah, tough. and, you know, at the time the movie was made, people cared far less about that in the 80s than, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, than yeah. now. I mean, it, right, so if I could tell you something that's going to blow both of your minds, uh, I read that, um, that the director, Taika Waititi, is remaking this movie. Um, so... I'm sure yeah, that Ming yeah. will will not be Asian in, in when the new you know iteration of it comes out, or maybe they'll have him played by an actual Asian guy. Maybe they'll just go the other route. Yeah, that that's that's the other tough bit. Like I don't know, I don't know what the right uh, thing. Like you, you don't want to whitewash everything, but then like I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Yeah, with it. but but it's like. So, but everything in this world was so fanciful, right? Like, like yeah. the the bird people and the the tree people. It, it was, I, I mean, clearly they were all humans in costumes. Like that was that was the aesthetic of of bad sci fi. But it was supposed to be a fanciful space opera. So, like, like why is the the main bad guy, uh? an Asian, an Asian, you know, stereotype caricature. Like, why isn't it just a, a weird space, you know, Alien. S- space creation? Right, yeah, yeah. But, like, I mean, that's like, it. I mean, I'm, that is I'm more certain. or less how he played it. Like, he I, just, he didn't really play it like an Asian stereotype. He's not like he had an accent or anything. He was just like, just gonna be evil white dude, except... Because well, it was... I got this weird-ass Max makeup on. Sydow, and he, yeah. he, he played it like evil him. You know, I, I never thought of it being an opera before, and now that you've said that, I can't get it out of my head, and I'm like, this is the biggest missed opportunity ever. I really, like, I know I said it at the beginning, but it just keeps echoing back. I'm like, the costumes, when you see those big scenes, look like freaking opera. You've got you've got this this emperor dad having sex with his daughter, and, like, you know, there's the hero, and, like, all these love triangles. Like, I'm like, it feels like an opera. 
And they had all these great singers. They got Tevya, and they got the guy from Rocky Horror, and they got Queen, dude. Why, was it, why wasn't this a musical? <laughs> this is bullshit. Yeah, I, somebody, I, just, I wanted a little more Queen. Because even the, the battle scene, you know, it was still that, that original Queen song from the beginning rehashed a little bit. You know, like they, they got mm. a, a lot of mileage out of that one song, you know, and... and I mean, I noticed that Queen scored some other stuff, like when the when the rocket was taken off, um, you know, and I think there was some sort of like regal music that they type played in that big hall. But like, I, I just I feel like if they the movie had just ponied up for a little more Queen, you know, like could they have spent two <laughs> or three days in the recording studio instead of like an afternoon, you know, like I, I think it would have made the movie. Yeah, I, I don't know if I could. I mean, I I want to say you're right. But again, that song's been stuck in my head for 30 years. If there was like two or three more, that's it. I'd be, I'd be, that's all I would hear all day, every day is one of the songs from Flash Gordon. <laughs> ah, Flash. He's a miracle. You, I'm, you're laughing now. Six months from now, after not having talked about this movie, you're going to be like making coffee one day. You're going to be like, ah. Well, that's the thing. I've also had this song in my head for ages because like, while I've never seen the movie before, I've seen countless things reference it including all the mystery science theater i've watched over the years so like i was well aware of the song i just never seen or heard it in actual context before uh it's a, it's a very catchy tune queen's awesome yeah, what are you gonna do but i'm i mean i'm i'm tapped out i thought this yeah. was a ton of fun um yeah. i also really one last thing i love that they put flash gordon's logo on his tombstone like when they killed him in the middle of it, they had like his whole logo killed by Emperor Ming or whatever it was. It's like, wow, they put his logo on there. That was awesome. <laughs> Way to go. Nice. Because even, even Emperor Ming's uh, henchmen who were like in charge of disposing of bodies, they're like, dude had his name on his shirt. We got we to gotta respect that. <laughs> we, we understand this hype and we appreciate it. So we're going to go ahead and, uh, go ahead and follow through with that. Outstanding. Outstanding. What do you want on your tombstone? The same thing I've got on my shirt. That's why I wear it. <laughs> uh, nailed it. All right. Are we are we done? Are we ready to close out our yeah, Flash Gordon talk here? I'm good. I think you can bang the gavel on it. All right, then. Then it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show, where we try to decide what movie we're going to watch next. So the letter is G. Uh, who went first last time? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. I'll go first know. this time. <laughs> uh, let's see. I had two choices. I'm going to go with my first one, uh, just because it is weirdly timely that uh, this is happening right as we're coming up to the letter G. I knew this. I was. That's why I had a backup ready. This was going to be mine. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, we should talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife, which comes out in like I don't know, a couple days, a week. You know, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. weird that they skipped Halloween for this one. But uh, I can't believe they missed Halloween. Somebody should be fired. Like that week isn't going to make that big of a difference, right? Like how it's got to be done, right? How do you not release it the week before Halloween? I I don't understand either. It's, it's a, a complete mystery to me. It'd be like if they released Halloween next week, right? It'd be like, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? And it's like not even like, yeah, it's not even by that much. Like, just barely missed Halloween. But anyway, 
I'm interested to see it, and uh, that's going to be my pick for G. This that that was one of my thoughts. Um, have you guys heard anything about it? I watched a review of it. Is, is no, that, I haven't heard anything. I, maybe do I want to? Like, do you guys want to hear what the? I mean, I've yeah, read I, I've read some things about it, and it seems like uh, they're not saying terribly kind things. Uh, it still doesn't change my my desire to watch the movie. Like, I'm my interest is peaked. Not that we can have a whole podcast about this right now, but did you guys see the last one, the one with the all female cast? I just watched that for the first time recently. Me too. Just watched it this yeah. month for the first time. Just yeah, just knocked over. Yeah, I saw and- it. I didn't think everyone said it was terrible. I didn't think it was yeah, terrible. That's exactly how I thought about it. It's like I'm probably not going to watch this again. But no, it's not. It's not an epic. It's not number one. It's or even number two, where it's like number one's one of the funniest movies. Like maybe not top ten, but close. Like top twenty funniest movies of all time. It's freaking great. And it's like it didn't stand up to that. And you're going to give it a bunch of crap. It was fine. There was nothing wrong with that movie. I yeah, exactly. There's nothing really wrong with it. I laughed a bunch of times. I'm probably sure. never going to watch it again. But yeah. you know the comedians. I avoided it mostly because the comedians involved i don't typically find them all that funny but then we were like looking for a halloween movie to watch one night and like you know what we've never seen this karen's a huge ghostbusters fan i didn't grow up with it i didn't see it till later and even so you can take nostalgia out of that factor ghostbusters is great even seeing it in like my early 30s late 20s i think when i saw it for the first time it was still fantastic so um but yeah no i thought it was fine it was fine yeah, I, I mean, I guess as long as we're on this topic and we're going down this road right now, uh, yeah, I too liked the the twenty six sixteen one or whatever year it came out, right? Like, I thought it was funny. I thought it was enjoyable. Um, there was so many people that were acting like, you know, this movie, this movie ruined Ghostbusters. Ah, you know, like, I, I feel like it's not worth it to be so, uh, you know, high and mighty about this. Because as great as Ghostbusters is, I don't think it's a perfect movie. Uh, it's it's certainly a fun movie. It's certainly highly quotable. One of the most quotable movies ever, I think. Um, I think it's probably the most quotable movie ever. Like, not only does Bill Murray have a ton of great quotable lines, but then like, so does Winston. So does Ray. Like, they all have great lines. It's yeah. it's quote after quote after quote. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. Like that, it, and it's delivered in such a throwaway. I, I, well, I, it's just, it's, it's a great movie. Chris, uh, do you remember when I bought the, like, we, at, like around Christmas time, you know, back when we all were like hoarding DVDs because you couldn't stream things, like we would go to Best Buy and we'd just, you know, we'd spend all our Christmas movie money on like a bunch of like DVDs and, and CDs and we'd like do it together. And I bought Ghostbusters, and we came back to your house and watched it, and there was something wrong with the batch of discs, because I kept bringing it back, and they kept having the same problem. When Winston right. would say, tell him about the Twinkie, it would, he would go, tell him about the Twinkie, and then it would stop. The movie would just completely stop. And then Chris would be like, the next thing he'll say is, Winky. <laughs> we, we never got there. You know, it's funny you brought up Christmas and Blockbuster. I thought you were going somewhere different. I, as the eternal procrastinator, knew for a fact for years that on Christmas Eve, after my parents' big Christmas Eve party, 
I had two places I could go to finish my Christmas shopping. It was Wawa and Blockbuster, because Blockbuster was open till like two in the morning on Christmas Eve, and I could just go there, and whoever didn't have a Christmas present yet, I was like, well, never found a Christmas present for Bonnie. She's getting Dark Crystal and Joe versus the Volcano. <laughs> done and done. Nice. Oh, but uh, what the hell was I, what was I saying about Ghostbusters? Oh, yeah, like all these people saying that, you know, that that movie, like, ruined it for them. Um, you know, and it's like, it's like, I, I always thought that one of the, um, you know, I always thought that one of the big flaws with the original Ghostbusters is kind of like the way that they, they treated Winston in the movie, like for, for lack of a better term. Um, I, I guess, uh, I feel like you guys had similar experiences with the movie Ghostbusters as me in that, like, we're all the same age. We were all, we were all born in the same year. So when when Ghostbusters came out, we were all like three years old. I guarantee that none of us saw it in the movie theater. But you guys probably watched the Saturday morning cartoon, the Slimer and the real Ghostbusters, and that probably coincided with like getting excited about the sequel. And then you were like, oh, okay, like I can watch this Ghostbusters thing, right? Um, and 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 of course, you know, like we all wanted to have a proton pack and a trap and, you know, chase ghosts and stuff like that, even though, you know, the movie's not really geared for kids. Like, you know, Dan Aykroyd, like, gets a blowjob from a ghost at one point, I think. Um, but for us, we were excited about it because it was like, like a cool ghost-catching thing, right? Um, but, uh, you know, like, when you look at it, like, Winston's not on any of the the... Um, posters like he's not on any like his name's not you know Ernie Hudson's name's not anywhere and it's because Eddie Murphy was supposed to play that character and he didn't sign up for the movie and then they were like all right well let's get somebody else and they just they cut the character to shreds because there was you know there was no writing for that character they're like oh Eddie Murphy will just make everything up you know so I I just feel like uh, I was gonna say I think my my understanding was Bill Murray and Eddie Murphy, they were just kind of relying on them to ad-lib their own lines, and Eddie Murphy bailed at the last minute, and then Bill Murray, they weren't sure if he was going to show up, and he, thankfully he did, and ad-libbed most of it, or made up his own line, I don't know if it was on the spot or whatnot, but uh, yeah, they were thinking Eddie Murphy was going to do the same thing, and even knowing that, Winston has some great lines. He does. Uh, so we got I, the tools, we got the talent. Right. I, <laughs> this, when someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. Like, there's... I don't know if he was ad-libbing those or if someone wrote them for him, but if he was ad-libbing them, I mean, maybe Eddie Murphy would have done better, maybe, but I, I don't know. I think he did a good job. I think he did great. Yeah, I, I just thought that they... I, I just thought the movie has some some flaws, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not like... Uh, you know, it's not like if somebody made remade Back to the Future and you'd be like, oh my god, sacrilege, you know, like... It, somebody is trying to breathe new life into Ghostbusters. Like, let them do it. You know, like it's. I mean, it's fine. I think we'll it's all be fine. Pretty, it's pretty obvious what that the the uproar was about. It's, it was a bunch of angry, you know, dudes on the internet that are like, "You're making it a girl movie. Why has it got to be girls?" Because that's the internet, and it's a horrible place. But <laughs> movie, movie was fine. <laughs> I, it was a fine movie. I thought the, I, I would I would tell anyone who hasn't seen it likes Ghostbusters. Yeah, watch it. It's funny. Yeah, yeah, I thought laugh. I thought the movie was funny as a movie. I thought that some of the times it didn't make sense because they were playing it for laughs instead of like trying mm -hmm. to you know tell tell a story. But like I thought altogether it was a it was a really fun movie. 
I feel like it didn't really feel like Ghostbusters in the way that Ghostbusters that we know from childhood felt like Ghostbusters. But it's its own thing, and that's okay. Yeah. And let people enjoy it. I agreed. And speaking of enjoying things, the one review that I did see of Ghostbusters after- Afterlife was incredibly glowing. Like, oh, okay. Just loved it. So, And um, it's got Paul Rudd, who you know what his first movie was? Halloween number six. That's the reason that baby survived. <laughs> wow. Well, that and, J- and, that and Mike Myers Mike can't Myers kill anybody he wants to kill. So job, but... One or the other. All right. Well, there's my pick, Ghostbusters Afterlife. I, I know we're right in the middle of these picks and I keep like yammering on about stuff. But uh can I can I real quick tell the story that I, I put on the uh the Discord about uh, uh Ghostbusters? Yes. Yes please. So I think Chris knows this, Sean. I don't know if you know this story, but when the first time I saw Ghostbusters as a kid, it was because uh my dad taped it off TV. Like I was interested in seeing it, it was on TV you know, and it was past my bedtime and my dad was like, okay, well I'll tape it for you. And like, you know, I think it being the mid eighties, he still wasn't too familiar with exactly how to use the VCR and he made some mistakes. Um, and he was trying to cut out the commercials, but at one point he couldn't figure out how to get the thing going again. So when you know, when Janine slams her finger on the buzzer and she goes, boys, we got one. And obviously that's a logical place to go to commercial. Uh, he couldn't get it back on until the end of that hotel scene where they're walking out of the hotel with the smoke and trap, you know, and the guy's like, that, it's that much money It's ludicrous. I won't pay it, you know, and and they're like, well, we, we could just put this thing back. And he's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, you know, so I, I literally thought that was the cut that it was like, we got a client. And then the next gag is, you know, hey, here's your here's your ghost, you know, and here pay us our money. And he's like, Oh, I won't pay it. Like I thought I thought that was the joke, and I literally didn't know there was an entire scene in the hotel <laughs> where, you know, Venkman gets slimed and everything. I didn't know that until I was in college and I you know in high school and I got the DVD and I was like, Holy crap, there's a whole scene here that I've never seen in my life. Because um, my dad just cut it out of the movie. I I I don't know where we got our copy, but it was it was maybe it was edited for television or something. It was probably recorded off TV. It was highly edited, so like there was a lot of gags that I'm, I'm not that big of a scene. That's a whole block, uh, but there was a bunch of scenes that when I finally saw like the full version, like that whole thing with with Ray getting a, a blowjob from a ghost, that wasn't in the version I had as a kid. Um, a couple of the lines were were PG'd up. You well, know. and the scene that I didn't get to see is the one with Slimer. So like I would, one. I would say these ridiculous things as a kid, like you know, talking about the cartoon, and I'd be like, yeah, because Slimer's not in the movie, and then people would be like, yeah, he is, he's in that hotel, and I would like try to <laughs> pretend like I knew what they were talking about, like, oh yeah, like, right, I've seen him in that hotel, like, <laughs> no idea, because my dad's <laughs> cut it out. Brilliant, brilliant. All right, do you want to pick next, John, or should I? Yeah, my I'll go because I'm I'm pretty sure we see where this train is headed. The uh, I, that was my primary one is what I was going to go with, and then I was like, if somebody else goes first and picks that, I'll go with Giggy Giggly Gilly G 
because I've never actually watched it. Everyone always makes fun oh, of it. Oh, that's supposed to be like one of the worst movies ever it's made, It's right? supposedly one of the worst movies ever made. Gili, I think is how it's pronounced. Well, uh, there's another G in there, so I'm definitely not saying it the way you just said it. That's right out. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it's not that's good. Like a, but people that's like are a like, this is, extravaganza. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, people are like, this is... it. Literally, if you look it up on Wikipedia, it says supposedly the worst movie ever made or one of the worst movies ever made. Um, which, look, I mean, the other movies in that, you know, that get tossed around in that category, Plan 9 from Outer Space, which hands down, that's the movie I've seen the most in my life. Like, if there's one movie I've rewatched more times than any other, it's Plan 9 from Outer Space. Uh, and Manos, The Hands of Fate also sometimes gets that title attached to it. And, I mean, I've only seen that all the way through maybe three or four times, but. You know, I rewatched it. That's how much I enjoyed watching it. So if Giggly or Jiggly or I don't know, if it's that bad, it is pronounced Geely. No, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not not getting into that. It is written Giggly for, for no, no. I'll go with Giggly. G i g l i is how it's spelled, but it's the pronunciation is the first thing on its Wikipedia page. If it's legitimately that bad, then I want to see it. We might like, have we might have to choose it just so we can spend an entire hour and a half listening to Sean go <laughs> and this thing and Giggly. <laughs> oh boy! <sighs> All right, solid choice, Paul. What do you got for us? Okay, um, should I uh, should I choose a movie where we uh, get to further explore the concept that I brought up last time, which was the Pauly Shore Cinematic Universe, um, or do I just choose what is clearly the best movie ever that starts with G that nobody could dispute, period, the end? First of all, you can't pick jury duty. That starts with a J, and I thought I was bad at spelling. No, I, I found just a- watched the Great Muppet Caper <laughs> this evening. No, I, I found a, a movie, uh, a Pauly Shore movie that starts with the letter G. I literally have Pauly Shore movies as a possibility for G H I and J if we uh, <laughs> if we wanted to do that. But that feels to me like a separate podcast, the Pauly Shore Cinematic Universe podcast. I have no idea. Let's go with the best G movie ever. Let's there you go. let's. I, I'm still gonna want to know what the Pauly Shore movie that starts with G is because I can't think of it. Uh, well, the the best movie ever that starts with G. Period. The end. That nobody can dispute is Galaxy Quest. So that'll be my pick. Unbelievable! That was my. That was when I was down between that and Giggly because. I only saw Galaxy Quest once, and I remember laughing at it, and I watched it alone, which isn't a great way to watch a comedy. I, I, I don't remember why or whatever I was doing, you know, whatever. I watched the movie, and I was like, oh, it was funny. And then other people are saying it was great, and I was like, it wasn't great. It was all right, at best. And, like, I've always wanted to go back and rewatch it, because everyone else keeps saying it's so great. And I'm like, maybe I just didn't, you know, sometimes things don't land. I'm you in know? the exact same boat as you. I watched it by myself and thought, really didn't think much of anything. No. And then, like, everyone loves that movie. Like, a lot. Right. Of course, everybody really loves a lot of movies that I don't really connect with at all, so. Yeah, that's true. I mean, sometimes. But, like, other people that I usually agree with were like, yeah, that movie's so great. And I was like, again, it wasn't bad. I didn't, like, turn it off or walk away. It wasn't bad. It was good. But I was just like, it was moderate. It was like, yeah, yeah right. it's fine. Mm, had its moments. Well, maybe we should all watch it together. I don't know. <laughs> all right so what, what was the, what's what's the poly shore movie i gotta know oh yeah what the hell 
Oh, I, I don't know. I just I literally went to IMDb and looked up every Pauly Shore movie. It's called uh, <laughs> Guest House. Uh, watch the watch the trailer. It, it looks ridiculous. Um, it was definitely made. I remember seeing a trailer for that Guest House. Yeah, yeah it was definitely familiar. made in the last couple years, and it's like uh, there's some there's some couple that moves into a house, and uh, the agreement when they sign the paperwork for the house is that. This dude, played by Paulie Shore, has to live in the guest house there for as long as, you know, they live there or whatever it is. So, you know, it's just, it's, wow. I guess it's supposed to be that he has parties in the backyard and does wacky stuff and things like that. You know, it looked as funny as a Paulie Shore movie could look. My backup was Goldeneye. I've never actually seen it. Um, it's good. I mean, as far as James Bond movies go, it's good. Worth the watch. It's got Joe Don Baker in it. Yeah. That sounds right. That's really one of the most important things I feel that that movie has that I need to experience is, you know, it's more Joe Don Baker. Sure. I think that was probably the best one of the Pierce Brosnan um, uh, 007 movies. I think it's the only Pierce Brosnan one I saw. I saw The World is Not Enough in theaters, and that wasn't great. (laughs) I think Uh... I've seen, like, half of the James Bond movies. I feel like Daniel Craig is is bailing out a little bit early, right? Because cause I think... Hasn't it been like 30 years, though? I think I think Connery did like seven movies, and I think Roger Moore did like seven movies. And like, like Pierce Brosnan only did like four, but then Timothy Dalton did two. So if you put them together, that's like kind of almost as much as the other people. But like... Yeah, but Casino Royale was 2006. And Lazenby only did one. Screw that guy. Yeah, I, I just I mean, the, I, Casino Royale was almost twenty years ago. I feel like Daniel Craig needs to, uh, you know, I, I think he, I feel like he needs. This to, has to be like five or six for him, right? It's five. It's five. Okay, yeah, I, that's I, respectable. Well, you know, I think not if you want to hold your own against Connery and Moore. I would have guessed more on both. Of, I, I would have guessed. <laughs> I would have guessed that Connery and Moore both did more than that. I don't actually know. I would have guessed like eight or nine for. Connery and I, I think Moore did more by one or two. I would have guessed he was up at like ten, but I, again, I, I'm not like a huge like. I've seen two or three of the James, uh, two or three of the Conneries, one or two of the Moores, one Timothy Dalton, one Pierce Brosnan. I think I saw three of the. the did Dan, yeah, Daniel Craig's in third, uh, technically second. Sean Connery and Roger Moore each did seven. Daniel Craig then did five. Pierce Brosnan did four, Dalton did two, Lazenby and Niven did one. Niven? I didn't even know that one. I don't even know what's David going on David Niven? There. Nope, got nothing. See, he was that forgettable. Yeah, I, I would have lost that trivia question right there. <laughs> All right, is it time to vote? I think it's time to vote, yeah. So we've got uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, what was it? it was, I'll come across this jiggly. couch. There you go. And... Uh, and Galaxy Quest. And Galaxy Quest. All right. So uh, I voted, <laughs> since I can't vote for myself, I voted for Gili. Uh, Say and it I'll, right. I'll tell you why. <laughs> because I read the, <laughs> read the plot. <laughs> now, the other two voted for Ghostbusters, and that was clearly my pick uh, so, as well, my first choice. So yes, Ghostbusters is what we're going to do. But before we go, plot. Larry Gili is a low-ranking Los Angeles mobster who is not nearly as tough as he likes to act. Louie 
A high-ranking member of Geely's organization commands him to kidnap the mentally challenged younger brother of a powerful federal prosecutor <laughs> to use as a bargaining chip to save New York-based mob boss Starkman from prison. It gets better. Geely successfully convinces the young man, Brian, to go off with him by promising to take him to the Baywatch, apparently a reference to the television show of that name, which seems to be Brian's singular obsession. Louis does not trust Gilly to get the job done right, so he hires a woman calling herself Ricky to take charge. <clears throat> Gilly is attracted to Ricky, but he resents both Louis's lack of faith in him and having to take orders from a woman. He's also frustrated by Brian's insistence on going to the Baywatch and by the fact that Ricky is a lesbian. A suspicious detective comes to the apartment to question Gilly in reference to Brian's disappearance. He is further annoyed when his mother immediately bonds with Ricky and they team up to needle him. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Events take a darker turn when Jilly and Ricky receive orders to cut off Brian's thumb, something neither wants to do. Worse, her ex-girlfriend Robin shows up at the apartment accusing Ricky of changing sexual orientation. Robin attempts suicide by slitting her wrists <laughs> and is rushed to the hospital where she survives. <laughs> There, Gilly sneaks into the morgue and cuts off a corpse's thumb, which he sends the prosecutor as Brian's. This movie sounds amazing. Wow. So Gilly is the guy and Ricky is the girl. That, that seems Larry Gilly, yes. So they were just like, screw it, we're just going to make it real confusing. Yeah, yeah. This sounds terrible and amazing. Fellas, and someday I, I, I don't someday think we, we can get it. through the alphabet fast enough and get back to Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I might watch Geely as well as uh, Ghostbusters. <laughs> I'm not going to watch Galaxy Quest until I feel like, I don't know, it's got to be like the right group of people. I, yeah. I don't know what I did wrong to just not have it click, so I'm like, it's got to be the right moment. Some point in the future. Some, well, someday when the three of us can watch it together. Yeah, I'll just, until then, I'll just know that you're both wrong. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, well, uh, that being the case... Ah, crap, I lost my script. Where did it go? <laughs> I can't do things without a script. Well, he finds the script, Paul, you should watch Big Trouble. Not Big Trouble Little China, which is my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Big Trouble. Although, Chris, you still haven't seen Big Trouble Little China. This is just messed up, too. But Big Trouble... I'm not a huge Tim Allen fan. I didn't like Home Improvement. He doesn't do a whole lot for me. But Big Trouble, he's the star of it. And it's one of my favorite comedies. It's so good. It's got a star-studded cast. There's like, and it's funny. It's a lot of a lot of them are people that don't normally like. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the Jackass guy. He's in it, and he's great. And it's uh, Putty from Seinfeld, and he's great. And Janine Garofalo, and she's great. And you know that guy with the big nose who ends up on Law and Order, who used to be a cop, who I think died not too long ago. He's Jerry great. Rock? Oh. He's got Jerry like a messed Hawk? up nose, Lenny white hair. Yeah, yeah. The older guy who was on Law and Order forever. He's older. He's got a mustache and white hair, and he's got like a busted up nose. Mustache. The, oh no, you're, mustache. he's think, he's he's talking about Dennis Farina. That sounds oh, right. Oh, Dennis Farina. Yeah, right. Highly quotable, very funny movie, uh, and just uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Tim Allen's great. I think great. I. I I think I've seen it, and I think I did like it. I, I probably need a refresher. Like it's been a long time, but um, I'll, I'll I'll check it out. 
Alright, well, that's going to wrap things up. Uh, a theater near you is a part of the Geekade Podcast Network, and if you'd like to get in touch with us to share your comments, movie suggestions, or whatever, you can send us an email at mail at geekade.com. We can also be found on most social media outlets and the official Geekade Discord server, all of which can be found in our show notes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time in a the theater near you. Flash.